Hey everybody out there, welcome to TNC number 162. I am your host Michael Montero for Boxing Monthly Magazine and BoxingMonthly.com. This is the new March issue of BM. Got some great stuff in here. By the way guys, um, we're still playing around with the volume, trying to get the right mix. Let me know how this volume is. I know the last couple weeks it's been really, really loud on the YouTube version. I know the audio podcast, everything's good to go there. So. Uh, let me know. Oh, we got Michael Barrios, EPT, Rotor Sports, Joel, Andrew. Guys, what's up? Thank you for tuning in. Uh, we're going to get started here with TNC 162. Again, let me know about the audio and how that sounds, okay? And also, any of you who are going to be in Dallas, Barrios, I know you're going to be there. Anybody else who's going to be there, Tiff and I are getting there th <clears throat> Thursday night. So, um, of course, we're going to be working, you know, we're going to be doing a lot of work for Ring Mag and Ring TV. But any of you guys, if you're around, we're going to be there around the Arlington area. Let's grab a beer. Let's talk some boxing. Let's hang out. Okay, so again, TNC 162. And uh, before I get into some news and notes, and we've got a big, big story to finally cover officially today. Um, I just want to remind you guys. If you're watching this on YouTube, which obviously you are right now, uh, click on the little bell, the little notifications bell, so that you know the instant we post something or go live, you guys get a notification. Please make sure you're subscribed, because for whatever reason, YouTube likes to unsubscribe people. And all of you guys on iTunes, Spotify, everywhere else, if you're listening to this later on, please spread the word, please give us a follow, a like, all that good stuff, okay? Uh, let's get into news and notes. And today, of course, the big, big story, Gennady Golovkin had an official press conference with, uh, with DAZN, the chairman, John Skipper. Uh, sorry, Tiffany kicked the camera a couple times. So if the picture jigged a little bit, Tiffany's walking around over here doing stuff. She kicked the camera a couple times. We should be good, though. Uh, let's see. Uh, sound's coming out. They're saying that the sound is only... Uh, I'm so far, everyone says the volume sounds good. Okay, so I think we're pretty good with, with volume. Uh, of course, the big news is Triple G, but a couple quick things to hit on, and then we'll get to Triple G, okay? Uh, Deontay, Deontay Wilder, he's meeting with the DAZN executives. We know that's going on. We know, I talked about ESPN reached out, Matchroom reached out. When I say ESPN, I mean literally top rank, but uh, their association through ESPN, they reached out. We know Matchroom reached out. We know that he's met with the, the zone officials. Now, the chairman of the zone, John Skipper, today at that press conference in LA that Chris Mannix was hosting, he did a pretty good job pressing him a little bit, trying to get some info about Deontay Wilder. Uh, John Skipper would not confirm or deny, which basically means they're talking. So we'll see what happens with Deontay Wilder. All kinds of possibilities uh, if Wilder ends up signing with the zone, obviously. <clears throat> World Boxing Super Series, the doubleheader that is headlined with Regis Progrer fighting Ivan Branchek. That has gone to Lafayette, Louisiana, which is, I believe, a two-hour drive uh, west of New Orleans and a three-hour drive uh, east of Houston. If you guys follow Regis, you know that he grew up in New Orleans. He's now based out of Houston. So that location makes a ton of sense. Now, they did explore other venues around the country but it's tough finding dates and venues and everything like that during, well, April, by then, you know, baseball's back, you've got basketball, you've got hockey, everything is heating up, right? I think if that fight, that card belongs 
in Lafayette. And I think it's going to do really, really well. I think they're really building a brand with Regis Prograire down there in Louisiana. And I just spoke with him last week, an interview I did for Ring Magazine. In fact, I got to finish up an article for Ring Magazine on Prograire by Friday. I also have to finish an article I'm doing on Gennady Golovkin and The Zone by Friday. Both of those will be in the next issue of The Ring. And then I got to do a bunch of work once I get down there for Ring TV. So it's going to be a crazy, crazy week on top of all the stuff I'm doing with my house. Anyway, I'm excited for that card being in Lafayette. I don't know if I can make it down there. Tiffany, I, we'd love to go down there and cover that one live. I think that's going to be a fantastic show. But with this house, man, we're try our, our, uh, we just had to put in our 60-day notice. I know a lot of you guys want, just talk about boxing, Montero. Just hold on. Give me one second, all right? We had to put in our 60-day notice with the apartment complex a couple weeks ago. We have to move out by the first week of May. So I got to get that house done, man. Every weekend, I'm spending uh, working on that damn house. So uh, I don't know if we can get down to that card. But if we can to cover that one in Lafayette, I will let you guys know. All right. Uh, also, PBC triple header coming on regular Fox, April 20th. It's headlined with Danny Garcia fighting Adrian Granados. All things considered, pretty good matchup, right? Uh, Andy Ruiz fighting Alexander Dimitrenko. Now, that is an interesting heavyweight fight for me. I'm curious to see what Andy Ruiz can do with such a big guy like Dimitrenko who's very, very slow and robotic and everything, but he is very, very big. Dimitrenko, sometimes he doesn't look like he really, really wants to be in the ring, but then other times he looks really, really tough and like a, a tough, rugged guy who, who will challenge anybody. So that should be fun. Okay, Alexander Usyk, Alexander Povetkin. That was supposed to be, uh, those two were supposed to fight in May in Chicago. They've both decided to take tune-up fights May 18th in Chicago, and they will probably, should they win, which they should, they will probably fight later this year in Chicago. I guess that makes sense to do it that way. And, and if you're Oleksandr Usyk, I know he wanted to go right at Povetkin. Uh, Povetkin and his people, maybe everybody involved wants to build up that fight because I think it's actually going to be, depending on where they put that eventual fight, a pretty successful show. I think it could do numbers as far as, you know, the gate and everything else. Uh, if they put it back in Chicago, especially. So I kind of get it. I'd rather see it now, but, you know, it is what it is. Also, um, MTK Global announces a deal with Top Rank and ESPN. So MTK, MTK Global, for those of you guys, for, for those of you who don't know, uh, they're a management company. They represent a bunch of different fighters. I know Tyson Fury's one, Michael Conlon, uh, Carl Frampton, Billy Joe Saunders. So some of their events overseas will now be featured here in the United States on the ESPN Plus app. So more boxing going to these apps, which is a good thing if you're a subscriber to them. I'm big on the ESPN Plus and the, the Zone apps. I'm big on these things. I know a lot of people call me, and I talked about this on Twitter today, I get called a DAZN fanboy and all this, but I'm big on those things. I really think they're the future. And that brings me into uh, the next item here on News and Notes. DAZN officially announced uh, a major investment into one of the biggest brands in boxing, Gennady Golovkin. You guys have already seen all the posts that have started since last week. Um, six fights, three years. Golovkin will essentially be 39 and a half or so by the time he does his sixth fight, if he even gets to the sixth fight. There's no telling. He might, I'm just saying, he could retire after the fourth fight or something. We don't know. But if it goes to the sixth fight, 
is going to almost be 40 by the time it's done. So this is essentially saying Golovkin's going to end his career on DAZN. And DAZN is thinking investment-wise, this is going to bring us subscribers because there's several more big fights for Golovkin. He would not say for sure today at the LA Presser that uh, he's going to go up to 168. He said it's possible. Abel Sanchez's trainer said they'd be interested in fighting Callum Smith. I think that that's absolutely part of the game plan here. I think, obviously, there's going to be the fight in June, which is going to be a really soft touch. The rubber match with Canelo or a rematch with Jacobs, should he upset Canelo coming up in May. So either way, later this year, it's going to be Canelo or Jacobs. And then it would not surprise me if next year, maybe one more middleweight fight, and then the last three fights are going to be at super middleweight. And I do think if Callum Smith still has the title, he's still undefeated, a Golovkin-Callum Smith fight is absolutely possible. If Canelo Alvarez ends up moving up to 168, he's going to get in the mix there too. There are several guys at 68. On the zone, Dimitri Bivol, who I'll talk about later in this episode, he's moving down to 68. He's on the zone. All sorts of possibilities, guys. It's going to be a fun few years on the zone. Uh, everywhere else, too, but especially on the zone. So, okay, um, I can't go into a whole lot of details with the Golovkin stuff that you guys don't already know. I'll just say this much. The presser today in L.A., it was more of a DAZN thing. DAZN wanted to make this official announcement. Tom Loeffler wasn't there. And you saw some people in the media and some of the fans and stuff tweeting about that, trying to suggest that Tom Loeffler and 360 Promotions are not involved in Golovkin's career anymore. That is completely false. I talked to Tom Loeffler just a few minutes ago. He's in Europe right now. I can't get into all the reasons why uh, he... he requested that I keep some of that private. It's a personal family matter. That's why he's over in Europe. That's why he wasn't there today. There will be a follow-up press conference two, three weeks from now that is more Golovkin-focused with his team that will have Tom Loeffler there running that presser. So that will happen. This was more about DAZN, John Skipper, wanting to just get it out there in the media officially. The presser that you see in a few weeks that's run by Tom Loeffler and 360 and Triple G Promotions and all that, that's probably when they're going to announce an opponent, a venue, a date, all that good stuff. Okay, so uh, Tom Loeffler and 360 Promotions absolutely still involved in Gennady Golovkin's career, regardless of what it looked like today at the press conference or what you guys saw from some people on Twitter. Triple G Promotions will have uh, a stake in the zone starting in 2020, they will start promoting two cards a year that will not have Gennady Golovkin on them. So that little part of the contract runs out in 2021 as well. So at that point, Golovkin can continue promoting, if, should he retire at the end of 2021, he could continue promoting on the zone or he could take Triple G promotions to another platform. He will have that option at that point. Okay. Um, that's it for news and notes. Let me get to a few questions. I know a bunch of you guys probably have them right now. Um, let's see here. What do we have on notes? Uh, Chad Fletcher says, representing Detroit for you, brother. Love the show. Who do you think Triple G's fight in June will be? Chad, uh, man, I miss Detroit. We haven't been up there in a year or so. I was Tiff and I were talking earlier. I turned 40 in June. <laughs> Um, yeah, I'm old. I'm about to turn 40, and I think it'd be cool to celebrate my 40th birthday in the D 
where my life started. So if we can make that happen, that's what we want to do. I want to get up there and see some family. Uh, I just had some family that had moved south, just moved back up there uh, last year. So, uh, you know, some aunts and uncles and stuff. I'd like to get up there. Anyway, Triple G's fight in June. It's going to be somebody that's not ranked. I know people have mentioned some names like, guys, it ain't going to be anybody anywhere near the top 10. Wouldn't surprise me if it's a 54 guy, 154 guy moving up. Wouldn't surprise me if it's somebody who's not even in the top 20. From what I've heard, Golovkin has really been taking family time. Uh, they just had another kid, him and his wife. So he hasn't really been training. He hasn't been in a camp. He's really just been taking personal time to figure out his next move. They're going to just try to get in uh, a quick camp and some rounds against the dude. There's literally anybody it could be. It could be some obscure fighter from Europe that you've never even heard of. Wouldn't surprise me. Depending on where they fight, it could be some obscure guy from Mexico you've never heard of. It just depends on the venue and the market they fight in. So uh, again, that will be coming in a few months or a few weeks at the next press conference that Triple G and Tom Loeffler do. You'll, you'll hear all that then. Uh, Dwayne B asked, you're not going to Dallas. No, Dwayne, we are going to Dallas. Let me get that out there. If I, I think I talked about it earlier. But uh, Tiff and I are actually going to get to Dallas uh, Thursday. And we are leaving early Sunday. The only flight we could get back was like Sunday morning at 7 a.m., which is awful. But uh, yeah, we'll be in Dallas Thursday. Be covering that. Uh, this is our first card covering together for Ring. So that's pretty cool. That's, that's really, really cool. That's a nice milestone for us. And Tiff will be doing some video uh, work for Ring TV there. Uh, let me see if I could read this. Les Chroniques de... <laughs> Sorry, dude. That's some French stuff. Uh, ask, wait, when you will have babies with your... <laughs> You're asking when I'll have babies with my wife. Um, brother... That's what my mother asked me every time I see her. Um, we will, but we got to get our house together first and our living situation here in Atlanta together first. And then we will do that. Right now, it's a few items down the line. And we're not even technically married yet. We're engaged. We still haven't gotten married yet. So we haven't even started planning that. Our life has been dominated by this damn house. Once we get that going, uh, we'll see. All right, Hamed asked a couple questions. Are you covering Joshua Miller and Canelo Jacobs? Possibly with Joshua Miller because that's in New York. That's an hour, hour and a half flight from here in Atlanta. I can get up there real quick. Not a problem. Canelo Jacobs, I'm not going out to Vegas right now. I got too much shit going on. I just talked to, you know, we're just moving to the, to the house the first week of May. And, you know, Vegas, man, I've done Vegas so much in the past few years. When I lived in L.A., it was a five-hour drive for us. So we cover a lot of events there in Vegas. I'm kind of burnt out on Vegas. And I know that it's very, very likely I'm going to be going there in September for a big event anyway, right? So, uh, yeah, I'm not going out there for Canelo Jacobs. I'd like to. I think that's going to be a fantastic fight. But I think what we're going to do is have a live fight party here on the MLB channel for that one. It's going to be a lot of fun. Joshua Miller, though, like I said, um, you know, I haven't covered a, a Anthony Joshua fight yet. So I'd like to go up there and uh, get a chance to, you know, meet him in person, speak with him and his team. And I haven't been up to New York for a while. So, you know, it's so close. 
it's probable I'm going to go to that one. Let's see. Uh, Johnny Boy asks, if Canelo beats Jacobs, do you think he'll jump right into that third Triple G fight in the fall? Johnny, yeah, that's absolutely already planned by the DAZN executives. They, Regardless of what Golden Boy says or Canelo himself or uh, Golovkin himself, that is absolutely what they're going to do. So because DAZN is paying out that kind of money to Canelo, they have a huge say in who he fights, a huge say. They can say no to an opponent. Uh, and they can push for a certain opponent. There is absolutely no doubt that the winner of Canelo Jacobs will likely fight Gennady Golovkin in September. And it's sadly probably going to be in Vegas. I think it'd be awesome if they went somewhere else, but it's probably going to be in Vegas. Uh, let's see. Joel says, don't get married, Mike. Follow in your brother's footsteps and just bang out hookers. <laughs> yeah, my brother's having a good time out there in Long Beach. What can I say? Um, if my brother's watching, I love you, bro. Give your older brother a call sometime. You haven't called me in weeks. I don't know what the hell's going on with you. Give me a call. All right, let's see. Do we have any other questions real quick before I get into the review? Chad Fletcher, I'm June 16th, be 39. Damn, I'm June 13th, brother, so we're just a few days off. Uh, let's see. Uh, I'm looking at the questions. I'm trying to look. I think I got it. Johnny Boy says, in all fairness, Triple G hasn't fought in six months. I'll probably be pushing for a year when he comes back. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the guy hasn't fought in a while. I think he deserves a soft touch. All right, guys. Um, we'll get to some more questions later. Let's get into the review of what we saw last week. So Friday, March 8th in London, a card from Queensbury Promotions on ESPN Plus here in the States, BT Sport over there in the UK. Uh, Liam Williams scored a pretty dominant KO2 win over Joe Mullinder. Defense, I think it was the first defense of his BBB of C middleweight title, his British middleweight title. Anthony Yard improved to 18-0 with 17 knockouts. He's a light heavyweight prospect from there in the UK with a TKO5 win over Travis Reeves. No surprise there. Look, Anthony Yard looks really, really great. Just waiting for him to step up. Awesome on Instagram with all the videos. He completely blows out journeyman. Great. I want to see the dude step up and fight somebody in the top 20. I don't need to see him against the top 10. Let me see him against somebody in the top 20. Legit top 20. Daniel Dubois improved to 10-0, nine knockouts with a KO2 win over Razvan Kojinu, who just last week in the preview section, I said would probably give Dubois some rounds. Boy, do I look like a moron now. Won't be the last time. Certainly wasn't the first time. But Kojinu, now he's lost four in a row. I get it. That, that, that punch resistance and everything's gone. Still, I was impressed by this performance by Daniel Dubois. And, and for my money, he's still the heavyweight prospect with the most upside. I'll talk about a couple more heavyweight prospects uh, later on. There's a couple who fought. Uh, one fought on that PBC undercard who a lot of you guys are excited about. But Daniel Dubois... 21 years old, six foot five, um, just has so many great raw materials that he could use if he has developed the right way. And Frank Warren, he's kind of like the UK Bob Arum. I've always said that. He's, there's just a lot of parallels between those guys in some ways in terms of the way they build fighters. And I just think that uh, if he does the right thing with Danny Dubois, sky's the limit. We still don't know if the dude can catch, right? We don't know how he could take a shot. 
but he is really developing. You know, Kojinu, I, I just said, he lost four in a row. Yeah, he was KO'd by Luis Ortiz last year in two rounds. Tiff and I were ringside for that one. He went two rounds with Luis Ortiz. He couldn't get to the third round. He couldn't get to the third round with Daniel Dubois. Now, does that mean I put Daniel Dubois up there with Luis Ortiz? Absolutely not. But it's an impressive performance from a prospect. And Kojinu, yes, he's a journeyman-level fighter, but he's a very experienced journeyman-level fighter who has fought some good guys. Lost any time he stepped up, but this is a good, this is a slight little step up for Dubois, and boy, did he pass that test. I just, I like what I see from that kid. Saturday, March 9th at the Dignity Health Sports Park, it was PBC on Fox. This was from uh, TGB Promotions. And Sean Porter in the main event, Scores a split decision win over your Dennis Ugas, defending his WBC welterweight title for the first time. Uh, I'll talk more about that in a second. I want to talk real quick about F.A. Ajagba, who is a heavyweight prospect, 9-0, improved, uh, improved to 9-0 with eight knockouts. Scored, a, or I think it was a second-round retirement win over Amir Mansour. Dropped him twice in the first round. So... There's some parallels between him and Daniel Dubois, okay? Uh, six foot five as well, 85 inch reached. Dude has an insane reach. Turns 25 next month, so he's young for a heavyweight. 25 is, is young for a heavyweight. Uh, but, but, hasn't faced the level of uh, opposition yet that Dubois has. Now, a lot of you guys will point to Amir Mansour and say, man, Amir Mansour was once touted as a high level uh, a prospect in the heavyweight division that a lot of people were interested in before his legal troubles. I hear you, but the dude is well past it. I think he's in his mid forties, uh, at least somewhere in his forties, a lot shorter than, uh, than a Jogba. And he's lost several of his last few fights. So really, really washed up pretty much at the same level of a Kojinu, just a lot smaller, uh, probably has more power than Kojinu. But, uh, you know, impressive performance by Ajagba. However, when I look at him compared to Dubois, okay, Ajagba has legit power, but he doesn't move his head a whole lot. Very, very straight. And sometimes, look, if you're working the bag, I posted a video of me working the bag yesterday after doing some sprints. I wasn't moving my head and shit on the bag. I was just, you know, bop, 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 just working, just sweating. And against Amir Mansour, maybe that's all he was doing. But I've watched a couple of his fights now. I've gone back, you know, and I've watched a few of them. And, um, and I've seen him live a few times now. And there's not a lot of upper body movement, okay? He's, there's a little Joe Joyce-esque, a little more fluid with his hands and his hips and everything, but not a lot of head movement. And why that's an issue for him is because he drops that left hand. If you watch, man, uh, when, he, when he's fighting, that left hand comes back real low. And had he been in there with a tall guy with a long reach who could time his jab and come over, uh, he, he might have had some problems. And that's going to happen at some point. That is something he absolutely has to correct. Because I don't care, even if you're fighting a guy that you don't need to move a whole lot because you're fighting a punching bag and you're just getting some work in. I get that. But you got to get the hands up. That's a fundamental thing. Even when you're hitting the heavy bag, your hands got to be up, okay? I see guys hitting the heavy bag and their hands are down here. That's crazy. You got to have your hands up. That's something that you never 
stop doing. It is the first rule of boxing that you learn when you're a little eight-year-old kid that they teach you, protect yourself at all times, right? You never take a second off when it comes to that shit. So when I see guys bringing their hands back low, even when they're facing an overmatched opponent and they're feeling themselves, everything's working for them, um, that's, that's a warning sign. That's a big red flag. And that's something with, with uh, a Jogba that you know, I, I just noticed with him. So anyway, Mansoor is 1-3-1, one, one, uh, one no contest in his last five going back to 2016. Really old fighter, inactive, very undersized. So good performance by a Jogba. Absolutely did what he was supposed to do. But I see some stuff there that concerns me. When I compare him to Daniel Dubois, I just see Dubois being way higher up the line in terms of heavyweight prospects with huge potential. That's just my personal opinion. Okay, main event. Sean Porter wins with the scores of 116-112, 115-113, and Zachary Young scored at 117-111 for Ugas. Now, Young is an L.A. judge. This fight was in L.A., technically Carson, a suburb of L.A., not a very big crowd, very sparse crowd. It was kind of cold there that night. Uh, but a lot of people in the crowd were cheering for Ugas and, and feeling Ugas won. Was young Zachary Young influenced by that, that crowd noise or whatever? I don't know. Guys, all these scores were all over the place. I, don't, I did not see a 117-111 fight for either guy. I didn't see a 116-112 fight for either guy. I could see a 115-113 score. I could see a draw. A lot of you out there feel Ugas won. I've heard people using the word robbery. This fight was too close and competitive to call it a robbery. Would not say that. I can totally understand why you feel Ugas won, some of you. Some of you feel Porter did enough. When I, when I watched that fight, first of all, I saw a lot of standing and posturing and fainting from both men occasionally Porter would dive in the way he does and throw a combination. Most of it was shoe shine that missed, but occasionally he'd get a shot in. Ugas, when Porter would dive in, he'd do some good work to the body. He'd do some nice counter punching. But in between those little bursts of action, there was a lot of lulls. The difference, my personal opinion, when you look at a fight like that, who filled those gaps of inactivity, even if it was just moving forward, you know, uh, showing some ring generalship, popping an occasional jab? For my money, that was Porter. So Porter filled the gaps of inactivity when Ugas would stand around waiting. Now, who landed the better punches? Ugas, for the most part. Ugas did a lot of really good body work. And for whatever reason, a lot of professional judges ignore body punching. I don't know why. But I look at that, right? And I chop all that up and I see a fight where neither guy really went balls out. Neither guy really went for broke and said, this is my fight. I'm taking this shit. I saw both guys kind of doing just enough. I don't understand Porter's game plan. I know his father, Kenny, wants him to box. He's not a boxer. Dude. Don't try to be a boxer. Do what you do. Be who you are. Get inside. Be rough. Be awkward. Headbutt the shit out of people. And make it a bloody rough fight. Porter's never going to be very exciting to watch. In there with a Cuban counterpuncher with the mentality of land one or two punches around and try to win the round, 
that's going to make for some boring shit. To me, this wasn't a very fun fight to watch. But in the end, I would have been totally fine with the draw because I just didn't see either guy push. And that's, to be honest with you guys, at the 10th round, I went over to the zone instead of watching the zone. I did not watch the final two rounds. I had it pretty much a draw at that point. And that was it. Now, in the 12th round, there was some controversy because people say that uh, Porter was punched and he fell down and that should have been called as a knockdown. Referee Jack Reese got that call correct. It was a slip. Ugas threw a punch, but it was a clubbing shot and his glove kind of landed back here. It was not a scoring blow. The, the glove didn't land here. It landed kind of like this, like, like the tape of the glove slid across the back of Porter's head and he slipped on the canvas. It was not a knockdown. So um, I could go over punch numbers and all this kind of stuff. Does it really matter? Porter landed more jabs. Ugas landed more body punches. They both technically landed the same amount of power punches. When a guy lands more jabs, what that is telling me, when they land equal amount of power punches and one guy lands more jabs, what that's telling me is that dude is filling the gaps in between the offensive bursts. Who was coming forward in this fight? Who would occasionally pop the jab? Who is controlling the real estate for the most part? To me, Porter did enough of that to at least get a draw or eke out a 115-113 decision and keep his title. That's what I saw. But again, I didn't watch the last two rounds, I'll admit it. Uh, but I could totally understand if you preferred Ugas's body work and you feel he won. But 117-111, Ugas did not win nine rounds. 116-112 for Porter. Porter did not win eight rounds. Those scores were too wide and all over the place. The 115-113 score, that was the best score for me that night. Okay. Um, yeah, so, okay, Porter had trouble making weight. He had to cut his hair to make weight. Some people made a lot about that. Do I feel it affected his performance? No. He still looked pretty fresh. He looked like Porter. He Porter's never going to look like a dynamo or a defensive wizard or, or beautiful, like aesthetically pleasing. He looked the way he normally looks, except it seemed he was trying to stay on the outside and box, and that's just not his game. Um, but, you know, could it be that Porter's having trouble making welterweight now or anything? I don't think so. He was so close, and it, was, it just took him cutting his hair and, you know, taking a couple minutes to get down. I generally, when I see that, especially with a guy as experienced and professional as Porter, and he stays in shape year-round, he's one of the classiest good guys in the sport. He really is, and he's a true professional. I just think him and his camp made some kind of miscalculation somewhere. Maybe the scale that they used uh, in their hotel room the night before or that morning was off. Maybe they just miscalculated something. I, I don't see this as it's going to become a trend with Porter and he's never going to make way. He's going to be an Adrian Broner or an Omar Figueroa. That's not what I see. He just made a miscalculation and missed weight. It does happen. Okay, the same night in New York, upstate New York, up in Verona at the Turning Stone Resort, uh, a card with a bunch of different promoters uh, came together. And uh, in the main event, Dimitri Bevel scores a pretty much a shutout decision over Joe Smith Jr. defending his WBA light heavyweight title. This was a very one-sided fight, um, but in boxing, one punch can change everything. And at the very end of the 10th round, it landed right at the bell. 
Joe Smith threw a clubbing right hand that nailed Bevel on the side of the head. He was visibly wobbled. He wobbled back to his corner. If that punch had landed at the beginning of the 10th round, Joe Smith Jr. would probably be the new light heavyweight world titleist. But Bevel, give him credit, goes back to the corner, regroups. His father kind of got in his ass in the corner. I think he was asking, like, what the fuck's up with your legs? Get it together. Uh, or saying that to him. And he wasn't the same in the 11th and 12th round, but he got it together. And at the end of the 12th round, he had Joe Smith hurt. So seeing a guy hurt like that in a fight and seeing him survive that and get through that, that is a confidence builder for a fighter. It's a test for a fighter. Bevel passed it. Now, again, if that punch lands at the beginning of the round, totally different outcome. But he recovered. He recovered enough to not only win, but put a whooping on Joe Smith toward the end of that 12th round and close the show really, really in, in dominant fashion. So I give him a lot of credit. And I think it's another learning experience for Bevel. Well, a lot of you guys forget, man, how many fights does Bevel have? Uh, I don't have it here on my notes, but I think it's 20 or so fights. He's not the most experienced guy in the world, and he moved up very quickly. So he's still learning things like this. As for Joe Smith, he is who he is. He's not at the level of a Dmitry Bivol, who's right up there with Sergey Kovalev, top one, two, three light heavyweight in the world. And he's not even really a true light heavyweight. He's probably a super middleweight, maybe a little bit in between super middleweight, light heavyweight. And just bulks up a little bit to fight at 175. Uh, so for Joe Smith to go the distance and to be competitive till the very, very end, good for him. And I think that I talked about this on Twitter that night. Had Ugas fought with the same urgency Smith did, if Ugas fought that way against Porter and showed it and weared it on his, uh, on his sleeve, right, that, that body language, moving forward, constantly, constantly pressuring Porter the way Smith was doing to Bevel, even though he was getting outclassed, I think Ugas would have got the nod over Porter. I think some of these Cuban guys that come up in that Cuban amateur system, they're used to being the A-side. Because if you're from Cuba and you're in an international tournament, guess what? You're an A-side because it says Cuban, you know, Cuba on your jersey. So people see that and they're like, oh man, this guy's Cuban. He's probably going to win, right? In the pros, it don't work that way, dude. You got to work, work your way up to be an A-side. And the mentality of just pot-shotting here and there, landing a couple of good shots and then backing off and waiting... That ain't going to get it done if you're the B-side. I'm not saying that's right. I'm not saying that's the way it should be. I'm saying that's the way it is. I think Joe Smith came in knowing that against Bevel, and that's why I took it to him. He took a hellacious beating in the process, but he got some shots in too. And is there any of you out there who wouldn't love to see Joe Smith fight uh, Callum Johnson, who fought on that undercard and proved to 18-1 with a TKO3 win against Sean Monaghan? Monahan, who's a fighter that Smith wanted to fight. I'd love to see Joe Smith and, 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 and Callum Johnson. Do I think that's a A-level fight? Should that be headlining a card? No. But if that was a co-main on the zone, you know damn well you'd be watching it. So uh, that is how a guy can be totally dominated in a title fight, but put forth such an effort and be exciting in what he does to where people want to see him again. That's how you do it, folks. Uh, so Bevel, probably likely moving down to 168. A lot of you out there have asked me, 
Why would he do that? Why, why doesn't he want to unify titles at 175? He does. He can't. Everybody in the light heavyweight division that matters is over on ESPN. So those fights ain't happening. So the best thing for him to do is to move down to 168, which he says he can make. Look at the, look at the size difference between him and Joe Smith, who both weighed 175 at that weigh-in. Look at the size difference between them. I think Bevel can get down to 168. I think his power will be even bigger there. And you've got Callum Smith, winner of the World Boxing Super Series, the first season, right? He's there. And you've got other guys at 160 possibly moving up to 68. I talked about Canelo we, and Golovkin. We know Golovkin's going to eventually move up. Canelo actually has a piece of a title at 168 right now. So there's a lot of future fights for him there. So I think it makes sense for him down, to go down to 168, and I absolutely think he will. Also on this card, Maurice Hooker defended his WBO 140-pound title. Now, he had trouble making weight as well. He looked great in the fight, though. Now, he was fighting Mikel Lespierre, so that wasn't necessarily an elite-level opponent. But um, he looked great, and I think, I think Maurice Hooker is improving with every fight. I think he's gaining confidence. It's visible on him, right? I don't know if he believed in himself as much three, four fights ago as he does now, but you could, you could see it in him now. He sees himself as an elite-level fighter. His body language, his eyes, everything he does reflects that. And he showed that in his fight. Again, Hooker maybe could be having trouble making 140. Maybe he needs to move up to 147. But maybe he just made a miscalculation in camp. Let's see how he looks in his next fight, okay? Um, he talked about Regis, or I talked to Regis Prograer. I talked about this earlier, you know, how I interviewed him. When I interviewed him, I brought up Maurice Hooker because Hooker's from Dallas, Prograer fights out of Houston now, and he had some colorful language for him. I'm going to save it for my article. So those of you, you know, who subscribe to Ring Mag, you can, you can read that later. But those two, man, if they fought one time uh, years from now, whether it be in Dallas or New Orleans, I think that'd be big, man. That could be big in a couple years. So keep that in the back of your head. Also on this card, heavyweight prospect Sergey Kuzman improved to 15 and 0. My phone's talking to me. Um, <laughs> new iPhone. I'm still trying to figure this thing out. I don't know what, how the hell this thing works. But um, Sergey Kuzman improved to 15 and 0, but barely beat Joey Devetko. Devetko, uh, majority decision win. Devetko had come in having lost two in a row. He lost. He fought twice last year and lost both fights. And Kuzmin barely got by. It was pretty much a draw. So I don't know how high, you know, I rate Kuzmin right now as a heavyweight prospect to really watch. Now, anything can happen a given that of boxing. It might have just been an off night. There might have been an injury. Who knows? But struggling with that level of fighter, I don't know. Uh, you know, I'm going to pump the brakes on uh, Sergey Kuzmin and, you know, how much I want to see of him. Um, in the future, as far as, you know, his potential of, as being a heavyweight contender. Okay, um, what, we were having audio issues? Yeah, and I think I just figured out why. Tiff is saying we were having audio yeah, issues. Yeah, we were saying it earlier. And Guys, I hope that fixed it. She just wiggled some wires around. Again, that's why we're going through this process now on the show. 
before doing the live calling feature because we got to get this whole scenario worked out make sure the audio mix and everything is nice and tight and we got this flowing real good and then we can add in the call-in feature. If we did that right now, this show would be a disaster, okay? So we're getting everything uh, worked out. Um, that's it for the review. And now uh, I'll get to some more questions and then we'll get into the preview. Let's see what we got. Andrew Ogilvy asks, can you talk a little about Beevil's style, especially his stance and footwork? Pros and cons and overall opinion. Uh, good question, Andrew. So one thing I noticed with Bevel, doesn't move his head a lot. And I talked earlier about that heavyweight prospect, Afia Jagba, right, who doesn't move his head a lot. The difference with Bevel, he moves his feet a lot. You don't really need great head movement if you can use your feet to get out of range. Um, he's very, very good at getting his shots off and then bouncing out almost like a rabbit. He kind of hops like a bunny out of the way to where, you know, Joe Smith, taller, longer, you know, longer arms, could not catch Beevil. The only problem with that kind of style is when you're up on the ropes, because then you can't jump back. And that is where Smith caught him on the side of the head. That is the cons to that type of style. So Beevil, when he's moving in straight lines and in the center of the ring, he's damn near untouchable because of the way he uses his feet. Very, very underrated footwork. But if you can get him on the ropes, you can get work done against Dimitri Bevel. What he has to work on is his lateral movement on the ropes and covering up. If you're not going to move your head a lot, cover up. A lot of people, you know, talk about head movement. It is very, very important. But there are some guys out there who just naturally are not as good at it as others, right? Canelo Alvarez is a master at head movement. Well, then you have guys like, let's say, Gennady Golovkin. Not the best head movement on earth. So when Golovkin's at close range with somebody, if he fears their punching power, you know, if they have good punching power, he just shells up. He gets his hands up and he picks off shots. That's all you got to do. You know what I'm saying? That will nullify your offense to a degree. But fighters have different styles. And for Bevel, again, I like the way he uses his footwork as his defense. Footwork really is his defense. It's just when he gets on the ropes... He can't back up anymore. He's got to move side to side. He needs to work on that. Uh, let's see. <clears throat> uh, Hamed asked, uh, he's talking about Canelo Jacobs. Uh, he forgot it's not in New York, and he's asking if I'm going to cover Crawford Khan. We were originally going to go to Crawford Khan. In fact, I talked with the guys at Top Rank about that, but um, we, we just can't do it because it's in April, and like I said, i got to finish this house. So, all four weekends in April, <clears throat> I'm going to be drinking beer and working in that house. And then I will come home on Saturday night and watch the fights with you guys and tweet and do a lot of shit posting and, on Twitter, which I need to stop. I need to start doing less of that because it gets me in some trouble. Uh, but I like to have fun and make jokes. What can I say? Game Bread Fight TV asks, what's up, Mike? Been training with Coach Eddie. Greetings from L.A., homie. Man, tell Eddie I said what's up. That's awesome, man. Um, damn, dude. I miss Coach Eddie. I had so much fun training with him and a lot of good, fun memories, a lot of laughs. I hope he's doing well and I uh, hope you guys are having fun. I assume you're working out there, City of Angels boxing. I miss that gym. It's funny, I'm working out right now just at this LA Fitness that's right down the street because I get a great deal at LA Fitness and um, it's dirt cheap. It basically costs the same as a DAZN subscription for me to go there. So, uh, 
I was working out, you know, the other day and, you know, they have the TVs on and there was some music video they were playing because they had MTV on or whatever the hell it was. And the music video had boxers in it. And it was, I could tell it was shot at City of Angels Boxing. There was one part, one part of the video where like the band is in the ring playing their guitars and shit. And boom, right there, City of Angels Boxing in the ring. And I'm like, damn, yo, that's the ring I used to spar in. That's the ring that... Um, I even got Tiff to train in that ring a couple times. Uh, so it was cool to see that on TV. It made me homesick, I got to say. October 4th, ask, do you think the ref should have taken a point when Joe Smith Jr. body slammed Beevil? That had me angry. He said angry with capitals. I think shit like that deserved points taken away without needing a warning. You know, honestly, every situation's different, dude. Uh, at that point, I didn't... It was egregious. I mean, Joe Smith clearly, he was starting to body slam him. But if you watch in slow motion, he's going through the motion of body slamming him and then kind of lets off halfway through. It kind of dropped Beevil down. Not that that makes a huge difference, but the fight was completely one-sided shutout. There had been no fouling at all, really not that much clinching or anything. So I think Beevil didn't bitch or complain. All things considered, I think the ref did the right thing by letting that go. Now, if Smith had gotten nasty earlier, if he had pulled some kind of stunt earlier and then did that, absolutely. Could even be worthy of a disqualification, depending on how the fight had gone up to that. If it was a close fight, okay, let me say this. If it was, I can't remember what round that was, but um, let's say it was in the 10th round and it was a 5-5 five, five kind of fight. It was even fight, and he did something like that. That's when I take a point right away. Because I'm like, dude, you're in a very, very close fight, and you're pulling a stunt like that. That should cost you something. In a one-sided fight, really, it had no, no difference on the outcome. So, so I, I understand your frustration. Like, I get your point. I just didn't think it was necessarily worthy to jump right in. In the end... It's a boxing match. It's a fight. And things like that will happen sometimes. You got to take every situation different. And, you know, I, I was cool with it. Uh, Rockstar1996. Over Yoka and Hrugovic. Even Ajagbe. Are you saying Daniel Dubois over those guys? Uh, look, Hrugovic, maybe not. I got to see more of them. At this point in time, the guy with the most upside... The guy with the most potential upside, I should say, Daniel Dubois. Dude, I look at I look at a 6'5 heavyweight who's 21 years old and getting experience on big shows, big platforms. Yeah, he's on the undercard. I, I get it. But th there's 21-year-old guys in the amateurs right now, okay? So there's so much upside. So yeah, I'm big on Daniel Dubois right now. I just am. Johnny Boy asks, do you think Pacquiao still gives Porter, Danny Garcia, Thurman tough fights, Mike? Yes, I do. I actually think Manny Pacquiao beats Danny Garcia. Uh, could beat Porter, unless Porter Jeff horns him. But I think if those two fought in Vegas or something, Pacquiao is going to get the nod. Thurman, he might be able to beat Thurman right now, dude. I mean, I would favor Thurman just because of youth, but Thurman's so inactive. We got to see how he looks in this comeback fight. But you put a gun to my head, if those two fought right now because Pacquiao's been more active, I might favor Pacquiao. I know, call me crazy. 
LR Chiga asks, what's up, Michael? How did you score Ugas versus Porter? You must have just got on the chat, bro. Um, check it out earlier. I tuned out around the 10th round and went over to the zone. Uh, I thought the fight was very close. I pretty much had it a draw. And the reason why I tuned out is because I thought these guys are going to split the last two rounds. It's basically going to be a draw. Porter's going to win by controversial decision. I tweeted it. Don't take my word for it now. I tweeted it before it happened. I could see the writing on the wall for how that fight was going to go. I talked about it last week, and that's an, that's what ended up happening. That's why I tuned out. So do I think Ugas got robbed? No. Do I think that it's very, very likely Ugas, you know, I could understand why a lot of you feel Ugas won? Absolutely. I, I get that. But I just think the dude could have did more. He could have pushed a little more. It, sometimes body language is a big deal in boxing, guys. Not just boxing, but all sports. Sam asks, does Jarrett Hurd look bigger than Beevil? Yeah. Yeah, he does. It's very, very interesting. Um, God, man, one day those two could fight. Could you imagine that? And in the ring when those two fought, if they ever fought, let's say two years, three years from now, Hurd would be the bigger guy. Think about that for a second. Uh, New Day asks, when will Steve Kim get inducted into the Hall of Fame? Oh, uh, Steve is well on his way. You guys know I'm friends with Steve. A lot of people out there don't like Steve for whatever. Actually, it's not a lot of people. It's a small little group of very loud people. It's the minority. Uh, that It's just a very loud minority of people that don't like Steve. And they don't like me for different reasons. They don't like Doug Fisher. I look at Steve and Doug specifically. And there are plenty of other guys I look at as mentors. But those two guys I really look at as mentors. And they are absolutely going to be in the Boxing Hall of Fame one day. There, there are ways, to be a journalist and get in, it takes 30, 40 years of work. They'll get there, it will happen. Johnny Boy asks, fantasy fight, Larry Holmes versus Joe Frazier. This might not be popular opinion, but I think Holmes decisively beats Joe Frazier. Sorry, I, I think Joe Frazier, awesome guy, very entertaining fighter, a tad overrated. Larry Holmes, a tad underrated in my opinion. Larry Holmes is in my top five all-time heavyweights. I think he's criminally underrated. And that jab, that stick, would just point outpoint the shit out of Joe Frazier, in my opinion. If we're talking a 15-round fight, I think Frazier, I'm sorry, I think Holmes wins 10 rounds, 11 rounds. That's just how I see it. Danilo Osiris asks, didn't Bevel get rocked? Yeah, I talked about it in the 10th round. Uh, Loss... Chroniques, Les Chroniques. I think that's how you say it. Les Chroniques. Don't think Beevil's still capitalizing on the hype HBO put on him. Uh, HBO, look, every platform hypes the fighters that are featured on their air. Did HBO hype Beevil up a little bit? Yeah, but I think he's worthy of the hype. Is he the most exciting fighter on earth? No, because he's a little maybe too cerebral. He's got a little too much Vladimir Klitschko in him for some of you. Uh, he's going to be safe and, and stay behind his punches. But, um, man, again, consider the, the experience level that guy has. He's not like a seasoned pro yet, and he's already a world-class light heavyweight, and he's probably going to be at super middleweight soon, where I think he's going to be a monster. I think he's worthy of the hype. Jimmy the Gent, Kovalev versus Bevel. Who wins? Whew, man, that's a tough one. I tell you something. 
The Kovalev that beat Edladir Alvarez recently at 175, where he's bigger than Bevel, I might favor him to beat Bevel. I might. Um, on the outside, though, the boxing those two would display would just be gorgeous. It'd be beautiful. At mid-range, I think Kovalev's a little better. On the inside, if it gets to the inside, I think Kovalev has what he learned in those Andre Ward fights. He would be able to apply against Bivol. And I think that might be the little extra, just the experience level. I would favor Kovalev right now by very close decision. Very close decision. John Gary Navida asks, Mike, does Bud Crawford need to leave top rank to get the fights he needs at 147? The con fight is a money grab. The con fight isn't necessarily a money grab. Is, is more, it's more of a uh, brand building exercise. And every fighter needs those. I do agree with you that he's being um, kind of shut out because all the fighters at 47 that matter are with PBC. It's kind of the situation Bevel is facing uh, at 175 right now, fighting on the zone. However, Crawford is a brand. He's a huge name brand in Omaha. He does sellout fights there. He could fight anybody there and sell, and sell out a venue. He's maybe the best fighter in the world pound for pound already. He's been recognized as such for several years now. Three division world titleist. I say keep lining him up and knocking him down and creating the hype for the fight with Errol Spence or Mikey Garcia if he beats Errol Spence or um, Keith Thurman, any of those guys. Build up the hype for that. And eventually, eventually, there will be enough dollar signs where those fights happen. But for right now, look, if it ain't broke, don't fix it, bro. All right, guys, that's it for questions right now. We'll get to some more of them later. Let's get into the preview of what we got coming up this week. Okay, Friday, March 15th at the Leocora Center in Philly. Matchroom, DeBella, Pelts doing a co-promotion. This will be on the zone. And in the main event, Tevin Farmer is fighting Jono Carroll out of Ireland. This is the third defense of his IBF 130-pound title. For Carroll, for those of you who haven't heard of him, don't feel bad. I haven't either. He is 16-0-1 with three knockouts. Out of Ireland, as I mentioned, this is his first fight in the U.S. of A. He fought an IBF eliminator back in December. The problem is, it was a draw. So I don't quite understand how he gets this title shot against Farmer when the eliminator ended up in a draw. I, I don't know what really happened there. If any of you guys know, some of you guys on the Irish fight scene over there, whatever, let me know. Maybe you know something that, that I don't. Maybe I just skipped over something. Um, so you got to favor Farmer in that fight, uh, fighting there in Philly. A lot of Philly fighters on this card. Uh, Gabriel Rosado, 24-11-1. Much better fighter than his record suggests. Going up against Polish fighter Maciek Solecki, who's 27-1. His only loss is a pro is to Daniel Jacobs. I think that's going to be the fight of the card. I think that's going to be a really, really good fight. Uh, there will be blood in that fight. Fighters will bleed. Probably both of them. Definitely Rosado. Rosado bleeds when the wind blows. He's going to bleed. Uh, Suleki might bleed too. There's going to be blood in that one, and it's going to steal the show. I'm telling you. Also on this card, uh, female fighter, Katie Taylor. Probably the best female fighter in the world. 
I understand that Cecilia Brekhus is the first lady of boxing. Right now, she's the most accomplished female fighter in all the world. But Katie Taylor, for my money, probably better pound for pound already. And she is unifying. She already has two titles at lightweight. She is unifying uh, with the WBO titleist out of Brazil, Rose Volante. So uh, probably going to win that fight, right? And she'll have three titles at that point. Hank Lundy, Philly fighter, he's on the card too. Luke Campbell and Kazakh Brooklyn fighter Daniar Yeliusinov. 5-0, born in Kazakhstan, now based out of Brooklyn, won a gold medal in 2016. He's on that card. And of course, because this is on DAZN, you guys get to watch all of it. Go ahead, call me a DAZN fanboy. I don't give a shit. That, so that's Friday. Uh, Saturday, March 16th, uh, Kosei Tanaka, 12-0 uh, fighter out of Japan, defending his WBO flyweight titleist against another Japanese fighter, Ry Ryoichi Taguchi. And of course, that card is in Japan. Uh, Tanaka has held the WBO title at 105, 108, and now holds the title at 112. And, you know, just looking at the schedule this weekend, club shows all over the world. I think there's a Telemundo card out of Mexico. Um, but there's, there's stuff all over the world. Club shows all over the world. Boxing, I'm telling you guys, there has been a resurgence in the last couple of years. It's freaking great, man. So... No matter what part of the world you're watching this show from, there's probably some action this weekend in your corner of the world, I'm telling you. But the big fight this weekend, the big card, obviously, Errol Spence, Mikey Garcia, fighting at AT&T Stadium in Arlington. This is PBC on Fox pay-per-view, and this is being put together by TGB Promotions. So for Spence, technically, this is a title defense of his IBF welterweight title. This fight kind of transcends titles, though, because you got a guy who's really a lightweight, maybe a super lightweight in Mikey Garcia, and a busting-at-the-seams huge welterweight in Errol Spence. So this is a multi-divisional type of fight, right? Now, the old adage in boxing is that a good big man beats a good little man. Yes, this is true. What we don't know, and that's why I've become really interested in this fight, and I'm actually really excited to go cover this live and be there. What if one of these guys is great? No one's asking that question, because here's the thing. A great little man beats a good big man. So in this fight, we're gonna find out if Mikey Garcia is better than good. We're gonna find out if he's great. We're also going to find out maybe if Errol Spence is great. Maybe both of these guys are great. We're going to find out. But yes, a good big man beats a good little man. But a good big man gets beat by a great little man. And people have been talking about Mikey Garcia as perhaps being the best fighter in the world pound for pound for a few years. Now, me personally, I haven't seen that. I've been very critical of Mikey Garcia. He kind of pulled an Andre Ward there for a while and sat in his ass during his prime. The difference between him and Ward is now he's taking a crazy challenge that he didn't have to take by doing this Errol Spence fight. He says he sees something in Spence. I believe him. I don't think he's doing this for the money. There were bigger money fights for him at lightweight. A fight with Vasily Lomachenko, that would have been ESPN pay-per-view. He would have made a shitload of money doing that fight and he wouldn't have taken a beating doing it either. So um, him taking this fight, 
I believe he sees something. I know for a fact he's put on weight the right way. Full VADA testing for this fight, which I love. Both fighters, VADA testing. So I think that this is a clean fight. I truly, truly believe that. And I think that both guys are taking it seriously. Pressure. 100% of the pressure is on Errol Spence. He's supposed to win this fight. He's supposed to win big. He's supposed to knock Garcia out. You have all that pressure. You're fighting in Dallas, Arlington, a suburb of Dallas. And you're from Dallas. So hometown fight, a lot of pressure. You're supposed to win. You're supposed to win big. Garcia's coming in. He's supposed to get knocked out. He knows this. Him just going the distance is a moral victory, right? There will be people out there who will be shocked when this fight goes the distance. I didn't say if. I said when. This fight is going the distance. No one's getting knocked out. It's going all 12. I'm saying it now. Bet the bank on it. Now, maybe I'll be made to look like a complete moron in a few more days. Maybe Spence will show us he truly is great and mop the floor with Garcia. I just don't see that. I see it going all 12. What I keep going back and forth on is who gets the decision. This isn't Vegas, but Texas, some shady stuff happens in that commission too. Who gets the decision? Who gets the benefit of the doubt in the close rounds? If, if Spence legitimately wins a close round, right, will he get, the, will he get the, the, the round with the judges? Or will the judges curve the grading scale because Spence is supposed to win? If Garcia looks better than they think he's supposed to look, will they award him a round he didn't really win? There's so many different ways to think about this. One thing that no one's talking about. Everyone's talking about the size difference, right? Size matters. What did I say earlier? Good big man beats a good little man. However, so does inactivity, activity, level of opposition, uh, level of skill, level of seasoning, level of experience. All these things matter. In just the last two years, I want to tell you guys something that no one else is talking about. Nobody else in the media is talking about this. I, I don't know why. In 2017 and 2018, okay, the last two years, Micah Garcia has fought four times. He's 4-0. He's gone 39 rounds. He went 24 rounds last year. Spence in that same time has fought three times. He's only fought 19 rounds in the last two years. He only fought eight rounds last year. Eight rounds. One guy fought 24 rounds last year. One guy fought eight rounds. I think that matters in this matchup because I think timing and all of that is going to play a massive role in this fight. Also, who did they fight? Garcia fought Sergey Lipinets, Robert Easter. Neither of those guys are elite world beaters, future Hall of Famers, but they're both quality top 10 level fighters. Errol Spence fought Lamont Peterson, who was a quality top level fighter, but he had been inactive. I talked about this before. Peterson had fought, I think, once in like two years. He had had performance enhancing drug issues, suspensions, all kinds of stuff. He'd been softened up by some tough, long grinding fights. Not the same guy he was five years ago. So that's a nice looking win for Spence. But I'm not so sure that beating Lamont Peterson in 2018 is as good or better than beating Sergey Lipinets and Robert Easter, who both came in with O's. Robert Easter probably got the benefit of the doubt in a couple decisions, maybe shouldn't have had his O. But those two guys, considering where they're at in their career, 
Probably better wins at this point than a win over Lamont Peterson. Yeah, I'm saying that. And then he fought Carlos Ocampo, who's a journeyman, who didn't even last, what, a round? So, guys, you start taking all this into consideration, okay? And this is where my head's going. I'm thinking, does all this shit matter? Does, does, does Garcia shock the world to win this fight? And do we end up looking back a week from now and thinking, how the hell do we think Garcia wouldn't win this fight, right? Or is all this just genius promoting marketing management by PBC, the fighters involved, the networks, taking all these factors and using it to promote the hell out of this fight, which is a gross mismatch, trying to make it seem competitive. Which one is it? I'm not going to give you guys my prediction until I get to Dallas. I'm going to, I'm going to bail out right now because I keep going back and forth. I think I know who I'm going to pick. I think I know. But I'm going to hold out until I get to Dallas and give you, maybe I'll do like a live video from the weigh-in or something and let you guys know what I think then. Uh, but I I'm curious what you guys think of everything I just said, okay? I want to hear about it in the comments section. Those of you who are going to listen to this later on iTunes or Spotify or whatever, tweet me. Let me know what you think about this breakdown and all the things I talked about that nobody else seems to be mentioning. Everyone just talks about the damn weight difference. There's a lot more to this fight than the weight difference. Okay, also on this card, David Benavidez, fresh, fresh off his Coke suspension, going up against Jay Leon Love. Love is coming up the loss, coming off the loss to uh, Peter Quillen last year. So Benavidez should improve to 21-0 with this one. Gets a layup here. Also on this card, Luis Neri, who is 28-0 out of Mexico, fighting McJoe Arroyo out of Puerto Rico, twin brothers with McWilliams Arroyo. The Arroyos are good quality fighters out of Puerto Rico. Here's what I don't get about this one. Uh, Neri, of course, a former bantamweight titleist, uh, had issues with performance-enhancing drugs testing, suspended indefinitely by the California State Athletic Commission and by the Japanese Commission, currently suspended under those two commissions. I guess it's cool for him to fight in Texas, though. That's just the way they roll down there in Texas. So I don't know what to think about that. But a Mexican-American fighter, Mexican fighter is fighting on this card, Mikey Garcia. There's going to be a lot of Mexican-American fans and even some fans from Mexico taking the flight uh, from, from Mexico to attend this card. It makes a lot of sense to put a Mexican versus a Puerto Rican on the undercard. Very, very smart by PBC to do that. Also on this card, Chris Areola. Remember him? And Charles Martin, he's not retired, no. Tiffany was just asking, is he retired? He is not retired. He's fighting on this card. So is Charles Martin. Are they fighting each other? That might be mildly interesting. No, they're fighting cab drivers. That's one where it's, you know, they owe those guys a salad and they're just making them some money. Why not fight each other? That'd be kind of entertaining. Uh, Marcellus Wilder, brother of Deontay Wilder, who is drilled and KO'd about six and a half weeks ago, should be on a KO suspension. He's fighting on this card. By Saturday night, it will be exactly seven weeks from when he was badly knocked out. I can't remember which round it was uh, on a card in, in mid-late January. Usually when you get knocked out like that, you're not supposed to fight for a few months. This dude's fighting seven weeks later. How is that cool? Texas! Y'all do some shit different down there. <laughs> you do some things real different down there in Texas. Uh, so I'll just leave that there.
Sunday, March 17th, there is a card on ESPN Plus from top rank, of course, at the Madison Square Garden Theater in New York. And of course, it's St. Patrick's Day, so you got to have Michael Conlon fight. Tiffany and I were there for Michael Conlon's pro debut there at the theater. The place was packed. Nobody sat down. They were standing the whole time. The fight lasted, what, what was that fight, babe? Two rounds, maybe? Yes. Maybe two rounds? It didn't matter. The Irish people there were awesome. Irish fans are like the Mexican-American fans. It, it just They make things so much fun, and uh, they're definitely going to be there a Sunday. So, guys, while you're chilling at home, you know, Sunday night, turn on the ESPN Plus if you got the app. It, that is going to be fun just to see the Irish fans there with Michael Conlon. That atmosphere is going to bleed through the screen. In the main event, Luis Colazzo fighting Sammy Vargas. That is a good, solid matchup. If you look at where Colazzo's at at this point in his career and just who Vargas is and how these two fight, I think that's going to be a fun event, man. I think uh, by then the Irish fans will be really liquored up because they will have seen their man Conlon do his thing. And then the main event comes in. And you've got a Puerto Rican dude fighting. I, I want to say Sammy Vargas is of Mexican heritage. He's American, but... Um, I want to say he's of Mexican heritage or half Mexican. Why don't you guys correct me on that? So I think you got a Puerto Rican and a Mexican in the main event in New York. There's no Mexicans in New York, but there's a lot of Puerto Ricans. That's going to be fun, man. I'm telling you guys, check that out. So you get boxing Friday, Saturday, and Sunday this week. All right. Um, we will be flying 7 a.m. back from freaking Dallas. 7 a.m. flight. After we're going to be working all night Saturday night go to the post-fight press conference, go out probably for drinks afterwards with a few of you. And then we got to get up at 5 a.m. and go down to the damn airport. And then when I get here Sunday back in Atlanta, I'm going to be calling into probably several radio shows and podcasts, doing little interviews about the fight, about Spence and Garcia. So Sunday is going to suck, but that card will be fun. That'll make up for it. Okay, a few questions, guys, and then uh, we'll wrap this. TNC 162. Herman Bopp asks... Hey, Michael, a big hug from a Chilean fan. Hugging you back, brother. Hugging you back, brother. Uh, what part of Chile are you from? Santiago, I'm guessing? Anywhere in that area? Um, I'd love to get down there one time. I'd love to get down there to South America, period. I'd like to see Argentina, Chile. I think that'd be uh, just fantastic. It'd just be amazing. There's so many parts of the world I want to get to. If we could finish this damn house. Finish. Yes, I'm looking at you, Tiffany. She's off camera. You guys can't see her. Uh, she's over there uh, getting your questions over here to me. Rockstar1996 asks, how do you feel about a potential Hunter Povetkin fight? I think Hunter is a live dog in this one, in that one. Uh, Michael Hunter. He'd be undersized in that fight. He'd be underpowered in that fight. But considering where Povetkin is in his career, uh, considering the punishment he just took against AJ, considering his age and everything else, yeah, absolutely a live dog. I favor Povetkin. I still favor him. But uh, Hunter, yeah, be, definitely would be a live dog. DS Kennels 210 asks, Mike, do you think Beevil would be better off leaving his longtime amateur coach for a seasoned pro trainer? You know, dude, I don't know. Um, that, that's another one of those things when it comes to fighters and their trainers. Everyone's different. And some guys do better being with the coach they've always known. And um, there's a familiarity and a comfort there. 
Some guys honestly can work with any damn trainer and they're just as comfortable, just as fine. It depends on their personality. From what I gather about Bevel, and I've spoken with him and his wife, Tiffany and I both have spoken with Bevel. Um, we actually follow each other on social media and stuff. They're super cool people, but they live in Moscow and they wanna stay over there and, and that's where they're raising their kids. They come here to America and they vacation and they see the world. They vacation all over the place. Those kids are really well traveled, those Bevel kids. But um, I don't think he wants to change anything. I think he kind of wants to stay in that lane or he's at and keep it Russian, speaks good English, getting better all the time. His wife, a lot of you guys may not know, um, went to school for a while in the UK. I think his wife, her and her sister, went over there. So she speaks perfect English. And she really is the one teaching Dimitri. They have a private tutor that comes over. But um, yeah, so anyway, his English is getting better. He's going to do everything he can to help market himself here. He's probably going to continue to live in Moscow. And um, he's going to, I'm sorry, St. Petersburg. Why do I keep saying Moscow? He's going to continue to live over there in St. Petersburg. And, and I just don't see him changing anything. Now, if and when he loses for the first time, that might all blow up because then it might click. Hey, I need to work on some shit. Until then, I don't see it happening. Vlad Rodichek asks, what do you think about Israel, the dream, Madramov? Heard about him, heard a lot about him, haven't seen much of him, to be honest with you, dude. I just want to be honest with you. I've been meaning to look at some stuff, to, to look on YouTube and, and, and watch some of them. I just haven't seen a lot of them. So I wouldn't feel confident answering that question until I see more of him. But I know a lot of people that are really, really high on him, people that I trust, who have told me to check him out. Uh, Carlos Espinal asks, which promoter you think is mostly responsible of most of the fights not happening? All of them, that's an easy answer. All of them. And it's really not just promoters. It's these fighters now, they have managers, publicists, uh, advisors, and there's network issues. You have the zone, you have Showtime slash Fox, you have ESPN. That is the biggest issue. More than any promoter, it's the networks. So at the end of the day, promoters are in business to make money. So are networks. When there's a fight that's big enough that makes it worth these guys working together, they will work together. You know, it, it will happen. I do think we're going to see Wilder and uh, Joshua fight. I think it's possible we get a Wilder Fury rematch. I don't know now. It depends. If uh, if Wilder goes to the zone, we ain't going to see it. But these big fights you guys want to see, uh, Spence versus Thurman, should he continue winning? And should Spence beat Garcia? Or maybe against Pacquiao? These fights will happen. It's just um, it's just a matter of time of of them building up and them there being so much money involved that you have to put your personal beefs aside. Floyd Mayweather hates Bob Arum. He does not like him. And uh, Al Heyman and Bob Arum they're okay, but they don't love each other. They all work together to do that Mayweather Pacquiao fight because it got to a point where the money was so ridiculously stupid you couldn't say no. Right. So, that, you know, the biggest issue is the networks. 
John Gary Navida asks, is Dickie Cole still the head of the commission in Texas? Uh, I believe, I believe Dickie Cole may have passed away. I think that he was the former commissioner. I need to check on that, but I seem to think that a couple years back he died and may not be the commissioner anymore. Uh, Lawrence Cole, his son, of course, still referees, but I'm not sure. I need to check on that, dude, but yeah, either way, that commission, there's some issues. Harrison Property asks, question Mike, have you seen Tim Zhu fight? And what are your impressions? I have seen Tim Zhu fight a little bit. Definitely got some good tools. He, he inherited some good stuff from his old man. Just need to see him develop more. At this point, he's exciting. It looks good. He's blowing out guys that he should blow out, but needs to step it up a notch. And we need to see him. He's not ready for top 10 or anything like that, but... Let's see him in there with an experienced pro that can give him a lot of rounds and let's see him face a little bit of adversity and see how he responds. But right now, there's definitely some potential there. Absolutely, especially uh, for him to build a brand there in Australia uh, with his father's you know, legacy there. All right, let's do one more question. We have any more questions? Yes, yes, and um, his father, as John asked, yeah, his, his father was the head of that commission. I think his father passed away, though. But yeah, yeah, Lawrence Cole, uh, not a bad guy. He's a nice guy. I just, you know, I, I don't think he's the best ref. And, you know, I don't want to sit here and bash the shit out of Lawrence Cole. There's just been numerous fights, and I'm not the only one that just sees a pattern of, of shaky judgment. Okay, uh, this will be the last question. Uh, Ivan Bronchek. Technically speaking, he is... Who asked that question, by the way? Rockstar 1996. Rockstar 1996. Just want to give credit uh, for the question. Ivan Branchak technically is out of the World Boxing Super Series, according to his team. They said that they're not doing it. However, Sauerland and Schaefer and um, Comosa, who it's the promoters there, they are still uh, going forward promoting the next show with him in it. And according to Sauerland, I saw an interview with him. He basically said that the contracts that these guys signed for the World Boxing Super Series are pretty airtight. And Branchek could face legal issues if he backs out. It's one thing if the World Boxing Super Series doesn't keep up their end of the bargain. But as long as they keep up their end of the deal, the fighters got to show up. So I don't, th I don't know if you guys are aware of this, but... Um, when you sign up for the World Boxing Super Series, your promoter kind of takes a back seat. So like with Regis Prograer, he's still promoted by Lou DiBella, but Lou DiBella is not really calling the shots for uh, the next fight. That's, you kind of signed him over to a degree to uh, Sauerland, Camosa, um, and Schaefer, the World Boxing Super Series guys, to they pretty much dictate what's gonna happen, when it's gonna happen, how it's gonna happen. DiBella's involved, but he's not calling the shots. So when you sign up for that tournament, that's why some promoters like Bob Arum, top rank, their fighters do not do tournaments because they don't want to sign over their fighter to another promoter. Um, it's only during the tournament. And I don't want you guys to think that these guys in the World Boxing Super Series are, are no longer with their promoters. It's just for the time being, there's kind of a leash, you know, and they're kind of being, the terms are being dictated by the WBSS and the promoters take a back seat. So uh, Baranchek's people, his promoters and himself, they might want to pull out. They might not like the financial situation and they may not 
feel confident that the, the investment money is there and everything. The Camosa people, they say now that all the financial issues have been worked out and they have all the, the investments and every, all the money is up. But Branchex people may not feel confident. However, they kind of signed him over to the tournament and he's kind of still in it. So I think what's going to happen is eventually we're going to hear, we're going to get a press release or something that Branchek's back in the tournament and they're going forward with the fight. That's what I think is going to happen. Can I do a video going weight class by weight class on possible fights with networks? Um, I assume you mean like which big fights can be made on each network or potential super fights that are like co-promotional, uh, you know, co-network type of events that could happen. Uh, let me know. But uh, yeah, I, I have a list of a bunch of videos I want to do. Um, but yeah, I could probably do something like that. I mean, look, dude, off the top of my head, if Wilder signs with the zone, obviously there's going to be a two or three fight series between him and Anthony Joshua, both in the UK and here in the USA. If um, <clears throat> middleweight, there's all sorts of possibilities, right? Uh, several weight classes just on the zone. With PBC and Fox, I mean, there's a million fights they could make right now in the welterweight division. What upsets me is when we have platforms that could make big fights happen. It's all in-house and they don't do it. The Spence Thurman fight, should Spence beat Garcia? Should Thurman win his next fight? We should see Thurman and Spence fight early next year at the latest. It should happen. We should see um, Jarrett Hurd fight the winner of the Charlo Harrison rematch, which is going to be Charlo. That should happen this year. Like those sorts of fights should happen, but it's up to the people involved in whatever platform to make it happen. We'll see. But yeah, maybe I could do something like that in the future, bro. I'll put that on the list. I have a list of like over a dozen videos that I've been meaning to make for some of them for like a couple years, but it's just things always pop up, man. All right, guys, that is, uh, that's it for this episode of the Neutral Corner. I hope you guys enjoyed it, man. We're, um, hopefully the audio is improved. And uh, get the word out about the podcast. Remember to click the little bell button and make sure you're subscribed. And um, yeah, man, that's it, guys. I'll see you at the fights this Saturday night in Dallas. I really will see you guys at the fights. Peace.